Let me have you open up your Bible to John chapter 15. That's where we're going to be this morning. I want to spend a little bit of time uh, just discussing growing up. And I want to talk to the kids in the room first, and then we'll talk to the adults. But what are some great things about being a kid? What are just some fun things? Raise your hand so I can acknowledge you, and then we'll, we'll do it. Yeah, what do you got, Micah? But, oh, there you go. <laughs> Stuff in your mouth in church. That's a pretty great thing. What else? What's fun about being a kid? Come on, we got a lot of kids in here. What do you got? This is, what, what is it? Eating candy, of course. That's a fantastic thing about being a kid. What else? What is it? You forgot. It's, it's okay, you can forget. Hold on. Not having to work. All right. That's fun being a kid. Peyton. Peyton, what do you love about being a kid? There's all kinds of fun stuff. Any other kids? Come on, we got a bunch of shy kids in here this morning. Yeah, what do you got, Noah? Video games, of course. Video games are super fun. All right. Let me ask you this, kids. What do you think is going to be fun about being a grown-up? What's fun about being a grown-up? Yeah. Eating more candy than the kids. All right, I like that. Kate, what do you got? Buying candy. We got a theme going here. Noah. What? Beards? Who's your dad? It's the guy with the coolest beard in the room. All right. Beards are cool. You can't do that as a kid. Yeah. You get to stay up later. That is fun. Yeah. All right. Let's shift the focus. All right. Let's shift the focus to the adults for a second. What do you miss about being a kid? What was fun about being a kid that you just kind of missed? Sleeping in. Yes. Lucas. Naps. Naps. Absolutely. We got a tired bunch. Huh? <laughs> Chad. Playing outside. Playing outside. So fun. Yeah, Patty. No responsibility. Yeah. Yeah. What? McDonald's. Yeah. McDonald's with, with less immediate consequences, maybe? Okay. <laughs> um, adults, what are some of the hard parts about, about being an adult? What's tough about about growing up? Taxes. Taxes. Yeah. Budgeting. Happy spring. Budgeting. Okay. What else? Responsibility. Responsibility. Yeah. Yeah. Cat. Aches and pains. Aches and pains. Yeah. <laughs> we we got a twofer. That was mentioned first hour too. Yeah. Raising kids. Yeah. That's right. That's right. Phil. Regret. Regret. Yeah. That's right. Brandon. No one to pass the buck to. Right. The buck stops here. Needing to make the decisions, yeah, yeah, choosing, choosing things. Slow metabolism. <laughs> so here's a powerful thought. You know, growing up is God's idea. God dreamt that up, right? If you think about it, just God's a creative God. He could have done things any way that he wanted to. And so he could have had people recreate other people who were fully developed, right? To come out and just be full grown. And that would be kind of bizarre, right? Like as soon as you pop your kid out, you're like, hey, let's go get a sandwich, right? Because, I mean, their brains are fully developed. They can walk. If they were already adults, you could just toss them the keys and be like, hey, we need milk for dinner tonight. Like, could you get help in the family? I mean, that's how it could have been. I mean, God could have done it any way that he wanted, right? There's some positives to that. Like, boys wouldn't have had that awkward place of, like, trying to impress the girl and their voice cracks in middle school, right? That's gone, right? Because you just came out with your voice already developed and dropped. You never outgrow your clothes that way, right? You don't stumble and fall as you try to learn to walk, right? 
But instead, God chose to just, I mean, we watch this process around here a lot. By the way, welcome, kids. First Sunday of the month, uh, we have a tradition around here of just keeping our kiddos in service the whole time. We love that Sunday. It's fun. It's fun to visually see from my vantage point just all the different levels of growth and stages of growing up that people are experiencing right here in this room. So the positives are, I mean, we get to see this little helpless bundle come out, right? And we get to celebrate. Oh, I think he just tried to say a word. We get to celebrate that first walk, that first step, right? And it just becomes this great thing. Growing up provides opportunity to be able to look back at your second grade picture once you're a graduating senior and go, man, look at the growth. Look at the change. Look at how much time has has transpired. So this is all God's doing. God designed this. He built this into, into human beings kind of physically growing, but also in all these other ways, socially, emotionally, and spiritually. We have a saying around here that kind of captures some of this. It says this. We, we like to say this a lot. Come as you are, but don't stay that way. Come as you are has this sort of acceptance component. This statement, we love saying this around here because it says two really important things about Neighborhood Bible Church. One is the acceptance piece. Come as you are says this. Don't wait until you get your junk together to come to church. Don't wait and run to God once you finally kick that besetting sin that's been hammering you your whole life. You know why? You'd never come to church. You'd never come to God. You'd never open your Bible, right? And so come as you are is just this acceptance piece that says, man, we expect you to come broken. We expect you to come needy. This is what Jesus did. The come as you are piece, though, really indicates growth. If you stick around here for very long, you will be encouraged. You will be brought into some things. Dare I say you will be preached at to grow. Right? You will be preached at to change and move. Here's the reason. Jesus accepts us right where we are, but he loves us way too much to just leave us in that spot. He's going to take us by the hand, and he's going to lead us somewhere. This is the way it is with followers of Jesus. They're on the move because Jesus is on the move. And to follow Jesus, you're not stagnant. You're not just staying put. That means relationally and emotionally and spiritually and even just physically, God leads and directs us to these different places Because Jesus is on the move. Growing up is really hard to do. And I I wanted to start, kind of before we get to growth, I wanted to think about a couple things that sort of stunt our growth. Okay, So if you're taking notes, you can jot this down. One of them is hiding. So when you think about Adam and Eve, to say that their growth was stunted in the Garden of Eden is to say a big, giant understatement, right? What happened is they went into hiding. And when you look at why did Adam and Eve go into hiding, three things happened. One is they did something wrong. Secondly, they knew that it was wrong. And thirdly, they felt ashamed for it. They did something wrong. They knew it. It was clear. And they felt ashamed. And so what did they do? They went and got fitted for some fig leaves, right? People today are still making fig leaves that are just about as effective as the fig leaves of Adam and Eve, right? The fig leaves of Adam and Eve must have looked a little bit like a kid playing hide-and-go-seek saying, you know, you can't see me, right? Because to a little kid, if they can hide behind a tree, and as long as they can't see you, they're pretty convinced you can't see them. So we we think we've gotten more sophisticated, but I wonder if to our loving Heavenly Father, that's sort of how our fig leaves must look, right? Not very effective at, at hiding these areas that we just really don't want to deal with. Without relationships, there's no growth. There's really only hiding that goes on. And, and people want to sort of short-circuit 
sort of the regret that Phil spoke to. You live enough life, you start to go, wow, I really would have done things different. I wish that day I could have back, and those kinds of things. Relationship fosters growth, not always, but it's key to growth. You think about true love, and true love includes both knowledge and acceptance. So so think about it this way. Some people think they are loved, but the reality is it's just because they aren't known very well. So musicians get this. I have a track that's a live track, and, and he's up there, and he's about ready to play a song, and someone from the crowd shouts, we love you, and he immediately goes, but you don't really know me. That kind of captures it, right? We, we, we kind of throw that term around, and so sometimes we, we think we love someone, but because it's because we don't really know them. Other people, we know really well, and therefore, we don't love them, right? We, we know them. We're like, yeah, I pretty much don't accept you. I don't love you because I know you super well. Here's where the hiding piece comes in, okay? The hiding piece comes in when we're utterly convinced that if people only knew my struggle with depression, if people only knew my past, if people only knew about that besetting sin that keeps hammering me, if people only knew about my short fuse, if people only knew about X, Y, Z, they would not accept me. They would not love me. So what happens is we go into hiding. We make fig leaves. We make masks. And so we kind of, we kind of allow ourselves to be known to a certain point for fear of if we're known anymore, that acceptance spigot would turn off. We would no longer be loved. We'd no longer be accepted. This is what is so so utterly profound about God's love. Who, who knows you better than God? Isn't it true that every thought that you ever have, every motive that you have is laid bare? It's just brought right into the light before God. God knows us intimately. Those things you would never dare dream, say in public, but you think them, God knows them. God knows every single thing about us. And yet in Christ Jesus, we're accepted, we're loved by God. This is why people, 2,000 years later, are still writing brand new songs about the amazing love of God. This is why Christians tear up and just get emotional over this, saying, saying, wow, I'm, I'm fully known, and yet I'm fully accepted. If you remove yourself from being known, you remove yourself from really being loved, from really being accepted. So this is potentially... Very unscientific, Dave's opinion. This is potentially the biggest thing that stunts growth in people. That they know that to move forward in this, to really get healthy with this, they're going to have to take a detour and kind of deal with some of these regrets, deal with some of these relational things, deal with some of this stuff that scares them to death. And they've spent a lifetime building up the walls and the masks and sort of the fig leaves, and they, they know it's not real, but they're pretty comfortable with that. And they can't fathom what it would look like to move forward in that. So hiding hurts our growth, but so does going in the wrong direction. Uh, going in the wrong direction stunts our growth, okay? Some of you are Gary Larson fans, Farside. And what happens is this. Many people say that you grow up by feeling better about yourself, by minimizing and saying, you know, you're not really that bad. Stop being so down on yourself. Believe in yourself, right? You grow up by trying harder. You grow up by being more disciplined. You grow up by minimizing the hard things uh, that have gone on to you. Here's what the Bible indicates. That you are worse off if you are leaning on yourself, self-reliance, self-confidence, that you're actually running in the wrong direction. And those who would cheer you on to keep working on yourself and do a little bit better and all of that, They are not helping you get to the end of yourself. And until we get to the end of ourselves, Jesus said you must be born again. 
right? He says you must become like this little child. Until you get to the end of yourself, you're actually going in the wrong direction, according to what God tells us. Jesus, as he interacted with people, does something really interesting. To proud people who are self-confident and self-reliant on their own abilities and capacities, you know what he gave to them? He gave them the strict rules of perfection. We call it the law. Someone came to them, and they were proud of their accomplishment and why God should accept them and why God should be pleased with them, why God's thrilled to have them on their team or whatever. He gave them the strict rules of perfection. He gave them the law. And yet to people who came full of humility and need and expressing the fact that they are at the end of themselves, what did he give to them? He gave to them grace. He gave invitation. He gave forgiveness. Grace is giving people what they need, not what they deserve. And so this is what Jesus offered to them. There's a little scenario in the scriptures where the religious leaders had caught someone in the act of adultery. They brought this woman before Jesus and kind of threw her down in front of him. What would Jesus do? What did he do to the people who brought these kind of spiritual bullies who brought this woman to Jesus, trying to trap him? What did he do? He gave them the strict rules of perfection, right? All right, whoever's kept the law perfectly, you you go ahead and throw the first stone. What did the people do who brought the woman to Jesus? What did they do? They left. They slowly started to trickle out. Jesus gives law to the proud. Now he addresses this woman. What does he say to her? What would you say to her? How do you hold intention, right? The justice, the righteousness that God requires, and yet this thing. Jesus extends what she needs, not what she deserves. Daughter, your sins are forgiven. Then what does he say? Go and sin no more. Do you hear it? Come as you are, but don't stay that way. Don't don't keep walking in this path that you're doing. It's so gracious of Jesus. It's so powerful to see law to the proud and grace to the humble over and over and over. It's so moving to see, come as you are. Get in here. This is the place you belong. You feel guilty in church? Yeah, you probably feel guilty outside of church too. If that's all you're hearing, you're missing it. Come as you are, but don't stay that way. We're in this series called Church is God's Idea. We're about to wrap it up. If you're kind of new with us, here's what the series is about. The series is recognizing that as we move through time, it's very easy for churches to just gather dust. We kind of gather the traditions of men and women. We kind of bring our own hang-ups to the picture. We start running policies like, like work really well in our company or for our you know, club that we lead. And what we need to do periodically is we just need to say, God, we, we have a special invitation for you to come and clean house. Would you just blow through here and return us to the things that are super important to us? If you read the scriptures, I'm convinced you'll come to the same conclusion, and that is this. If you want to be a biblically-minded church that is concerned with the things God is concerned about, you will concern yourself with growth. You will be utterly concerned with growth. One of the sort of Christianese words that's used is discipleship, right? The idea that when Jesus beckons us to follow, he doesn't beckon us to a one-time decision and then he's done with us. He beckons us to follow. That requires a pretty significant get up and follow, and then it leads to a a thousand more decisions to keep following wherever he leads. We have these light bulbs that are hanging around. These light bulbs kind of signify the idea that there are different sized churches and different shaped churches. 
And this is by God's design too. God thought up the church. And so there are some mega churches out there that shine really bright and they have all kinds of great programs and they have, they have multi-staff and they're phenomenal churches. Really amazing pictures of the family of God. And then there's some really tiny little, little churches that are even smaller than this light bulb right here and they kind of, they kind of fit in these little dark places and God's using those churches in some really, really profound ways as well. And we ought not worry about comparing and, and looking at that. We actually ought to celebrate sort of the variety of how God set up the church and designed the church. Some of you are really astute in here, and you'll notice that Neighborhood Bible Church, um, these bulbs have gotten brighter. They're as bright as they've been since we started the series. We started the series with these bulbs kind of pretty faded, intentionally kind of muted, and the idea is this, God, would you grow us? Would you get us brighter as, as a church? Would you remove and strip away sort of the, the junk that gets on the glass of our lives so that you can shine through? It's a call to remember, it's not about us. What's a light bulb without being screwed into a socket? A fragile piece of glass that's kind of worthless. You don't really think about light bulbs much at all until they go out, right? How cool would this church be if people like just, they didn't really care about Neighborhood Bible Church logo or any of that, but the second this church were to go away, they would just have this sense, I mean, something's missing from our neighborhood, right? We don't do this for our own glory. We don't do this to show us off, but to show off the light that's shining through us. So because of that, we care about growth. John chapter 15 is where we're at this morning. And John chapter 15 shows God as a farmer, and a farmer has one objective. The, the reason a farmer works hard, the reason a farmer thinks and strategizes is for a big harvest. That's why farmers farm. And there's a second character in sort of John 15, and that's Jesus. Jesus says explicitly, he's the true vine. So we have the true vine, and we have God as the farmer. Look at John 15, 1. What I want to show you is something that a pastor named Tom Mercer Taught, actually Ben was there as well at a pastor's conference several years ago, and it's just really stayed with me. It's so simple. And I think Jesus puts his stamp of approval on just saying, the Christian life is not rocket science. You don't need a degree for this. It's sitting right there in your Bibles. It's sitting right there on your phone or your tablet right now. Here it is, John chapter 15. Follow along with me. Verse 1, I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me, that bears no fruit. While every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. For you are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me, and I will remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit Unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If a man remains in me, and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not remain in me, he is like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up and thrown into the fire and burned. If you remain in me, and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be given you. This is to my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit, 
showing yourselves to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now, remain in my love. Nine times in this passage, the word remain is put right in front of us. Seven times in this passage, the idea of bearing fruit is put in front of us. Jesus doesn't have a memory problem. He's not repeating himself. He's doing this because he loves us. This is what loving parents do, right? They say, this is really important, so let me tell it to you. In case you missed it, let me tell it sort of a different way. Now, let me come at it this way, and just before you leave, let me reiterate, here's what I want to tell you. Remain in me, bear much fruit. On the back side of your paper is a little gray box. That gray box is for you to draw some things in it. If you've already written it, that's okay. Uh, you can make it work. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to draw two lines, okay? One going up and one going down with an arrow, all right? And along the one going up, I want you to write personal growth. That line going up represents personal growth. Remain in me. If you don't remain in me, it's bad news, so remain in me, okay? That's personal growth. Remain in Jesus, the true vine. On the, along the bottom, I want you to write personal mission. Personal mission is bear much fruit. Remain in me, personal growth, that you may bear much fruit. Personal mission. Now what I want you to do is I want you to draw something that looks like a plus sign. And what that plus sign just did is it gave you four boxes, four little quadrants that you can kind of write in, okay? What I, just want, what I want you to think about is this. If you were to chart your life and say, how much personal growth has gone on? When I read the scriptures about personal holiness and caring about these, these personality traits, the, the, the kindness and the love and the self-discipline and those, those things that come from growing in Jesus, where would I plot my life on that? And then if I were to plot what it looks like, we talked last week about sharing, about putting to use the gifts you have, Right? about doing the good works that God created you to walk in. If you were to plot your life along those lines and kind of where you've tracked, where would that be? If you're in that first quadrant, the word that I want you to write there is this. I want you to write the word mirror. And here's just sort of the harsh but loving truth of this statement. If you're in that first quadrant and you've called yourself a disciple, a follower of Jesus for years and years and years and years, and you were to plot your growth points in all honesty between you and God, and you were to say, I'm still in that first quadrant, the reason the word mirror is there is because of this. You ought to look in the mirror. You ought to look in the mirror and question, am I really saved? I'll tell you why. The Bible knows about much fruit-bearing Christians. The Bible knows about small fruit-bearing Christians. The Bible knows nothing of no fruit-bearing Christians. The Bible just doesn't know of that. We know a lot about that. We talk a lot about that where we wear the name only, but there's no lifestyle to back it up. Go read the book of James. I've been reading the book of James the last few days where your faith is shown by your actions, right? So if that first quadrant is you, it's, it's to look in the mirror. Now, what if you are high on personal growth, but there's absolutely no mission? The word you should write there is moralist. A moralist is always learning more. They're always discussing more. They're always tweaking their, their discipline schedule. Frankly, they tend to look at other people's discipline schedule and make sure they're winning, right? 
I'm utterly convinced I'm more disciplined than most of these people, but let me go back and double-check. Yep, I for sure am. If you're in that first quadrant, what it means is this. You utterly concern yourself with the things of God. You talk about it a lot. You discipline yourself a lot. You might read a lot. You might attend nine Bible studies in seven days, right? But if there is no growth along personal mission, if there's no fruit bearing from that, what you would be called is a moralist. The moralists in the scripture are the Pharisees, the Sadducees. These are the people that, that Jesus tended to come down on really harshly. There was a lot of pomp and circumstance. There was a lot of ritual. People get confused, by the way, that this is discipleship. That guy must be a disciple. Why? Because he goes to a lot of conferences. He's been to a ton of, ton of Bible studies. He's got notebooks and giant libraries of books he's read. He must be a true disciple. A lot of times we measure it by those things. How about along the bottom quadrant? The bottom quadrant is high on mission and getting things done for God, but there's not much remaining going on. There's not an abiding love. There's not a deep concern about their own personal holiness. They don't really care to check in and hear from God because that's not a regular part of the thing. They have too many things to do in God's name. A moralist is called a moralist. I mean, a, 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 a manipulative is the word because it's a little bit like someone who drives a Chevy but is selling Fords at the lot, right? They don't even use the product they're talking about. They might be out winning converts for Jesus, even though they don't really care much about Jesus or live for him or talk, uh, talk to him and, and be in relationship with him much. They might do tons of good things. They would be at this church wanting to get out and do things. They wouldn't have time for Bible study and prayer. They wouldn't have time for church meetings where we would stir our souls to care about the sin in our life and repent of it. So that's someone who's manipulative if you're high on personal mission and low on personal growth. The last quadrant is, of course, the right answer. This is the balance of personal growth and personal mission. And the word is maturing. To be, to be a maturing believer is to be one who, as you learn things, you're putting it into practice. As you go put things into practice, it drives you back to an abiding love with Jesus. And those things don't ever stop. Here's another saying that we really like to say around here. We don't have any mature Christians at Neighborhood Bible Church, only maturing Christians. Here's why. Mature Christians versus non-mature Christians create sort of an us-them mentality in a church. That's really destructive. That's counter to this, this new one man that God is building in the church. It also creates sort of an, an elitist class of people amongst the church. Well, they're the mature ones. Are those for the, is that for the mature believers or for the novices, right? But there's something even more despicable that the word mature actually indicates, and that is this. It indicates that someone has arrived. Who are you? Are you one of the mature ones at this church? I want to talk to a mature believer. That's me. A perfect specimen of spirituality. What can I do for you? I'm a mature Christian. Do you see how that that indicates like we put the car in park, we're done here. We're mature. We've grown up in all ways. Here we are. Let me show this to you in scripture form. Matthew 22, you can jot this down. You know this passage well. Matthew 22, 37, Jesus has been asked about the two greatest commandments. Here's what he says. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. 
remain in me. Personal growth. Question, do you ever arrive at what Jesus just said was the first commandment? Give me a real answer. Do you ever arrive at that? No. Do you mature along that path? Absolutely. Are we ever going to exhaust knowing all there is to know about God? Absolutely not. That's why songs will continue to be written. That's why poems and sermons and books will continue to be written on this. Because we're ever growing in this. With our heart and with our soul and with our mind. And then he says the second command is like it. What's the second command, church? To love your neighbor as yourself. Does that ever end? No. It's kind of depressing, isn't it? There's always going to be more work to do. I mean, you don't ever get to a place where you say, love my neighbor, check. I love check boxes. I love to-do lists when they're done, right? The second that you're like, sweet, I'm done with that, that person will move, and guess who'll move in? Nightmare neighbor will move in. And you'll be back at square one. You're like, oh, more work to do, right? Or God will bring you along to someone else, and he'll nudge your heart to say, be neighborly to this person. We will never stop loving our neighbor. We will only be growing in that. We'll be maturing in that, Lord willing. We'll never stop loving God with all that we are in worship. Lord willing, we'll be growing in that for for the rest of our life. Is the goal to be a mature Christian? Absolutely. Are we going to arrive this side of glory? No, we're not. So there it is. No mature Christians, only maturing ones. You want to grow? Remain and bear much fruit. How do you bear much fruit? You remain. What happens when you remain? You bear much fruit. Do you see it in John 15? Do you see how simple this is? You don't need a college degree for this. Jesus has given this to us. Let's get super awkward for a moment, okay? Um, what I want you to do, on the count of three, I'm going to have you point at someone in church, okay? You're not supposed to point in church, but we're going to break that rule right now. What I want you to do is I want you to think in your mind of someone who you think is a grown-up in some specific area. It could be someone who's just really, really smart. They are a grown-up in being smart. Their brain is developed, okay? It could be someone who socially is just way ahead of you, and you're like, man, they seem to have their life together in that arena. It could be someone that you just genuinely respect. You respect their spiritual walk, and you think, you know, spiritually, they seem like kind of a grown-up, okay? It could be financially, okay? It could just be that, man, that person handles money well. He knows how to make money and manage it and all of that. So on the count of three, we're all going to point at someone, okay? Think about who you want to point at, and on the count of three, point. One, two, three. Okay. Now, put your hand down. We're not going to go into super awkward mode. Super awkward mode is if I said, now point at someone who you're convinced you have nothing to learn from. You're like, they are a kid in every area. No maturity whatsoever. We're not going to go there. Don't point, okay? Here, here's the point of the pointing exercise. Ready? Here it is. We are all in the same boat. Both pointer and the one being pointed at all have room to grow up. The person who's really, really book smart sometimes isn't that relationally smart, are they? The person who's really disciplined and growing in this way doesn't really see needs that well at all, and they need to be convinced that they're out there. Those who sometimes are really terrible at money and managing it and making it and everything to do with finances are just utterly unbelievable at coming along and being empathetic with people and putting their arm around each other and knowing how to minister sort of God's riches to other people. I want you to hear this because it's 
utterly foundational to the rest of what I'm going to say that we realize we're all in the same boat. We are all growing up together. I want to give you some really practical things now. How do I grow up? This is far from an exhaustive list. In fact, I've actually asked you as a community group, hey, add to this list. How do you grow up? What are some things you do to grow up? Here's the first one. Read your Bible. And if you struggle to read, don't feel guilty week after week when your pastor says, read your Bible. Listen to it. I have people ask me all the time, does it count if I listen to the Bible? Does that count as my quiet time? Yes! I sat next to a mom at a volleyball tournament yesterday, and we just got talking. We're talking about education and some different things. She said, you know, I've got this really, really smart son, and he just couldn't read for the life of him. He's an auditory learner. And it was so challenging for him to get book assignments and write things. But if you ever read something to him, he would tell you back all the details in perfect order. Praise God that we have technology that allows someone to sit and read God's word over us on our commute to work. Isn't that cool? Please don't read and drive your car. That's, I mean, that's just common sense, right? So let the word of God just wash over you. Some of you will listen to the the word of God and go, wow, I never picked that up. For whatever reason, when I'm reading, I I didn't get that. Hearing that spoken over me is really powerful. If listening to God's word didn't count, this doesn't count. When you hear God's word read in church. If listening didn't count, then then it wouldn't count for centuries when people didn't have their own copy or couldn't read if if they did have access to it. So listen or read to God's word. It's food. Ingest it in whatever way it comes to you. Here's the second one. Learn from other people. We need imitation, not just instruction. Formal teaching times and personal discipline to read or listen and meditate on Scripture and memorize Scripture, yes. And we all need models to help us mature. Paul said it this way in 1 Corinthians 4.16, I urge you then, be imitators of me. Now, to the sort of uninitiated, doesn't that sound a little bit prideful? I mean, if I just got up and said, hey, copy what I do, church. What's the American way? How dare you? I'm an individual. Right? That sounds really foreign to our ears. Now, he clarifies it in some other places. He says, follow me, what? As I follow Christ. But he makes no bones about it. You ought to imitate the faith of other people. Jesus put his big giant stamp of approval when he came to earth in the form of a person. And he took principles that were taught and he put personality on it. And we're still learning. How do we deal with bullies who come and accuse someone and throw them at our feet? Well, we know that because Jesus dealt with that. And we never in a million years would have come up with the words he says to that. Hey, should we tax or should we not tax? Hey, bring a coin to me. I mean, there's so much learning about how we interact from antagonists, how we interact with people who are broken and just teetering on the edge, how we act with those who are so self-righteous and prideful. Jesus teaches that and he models that for us. Isn't it wise that God designed the church as a family full of models and mentors? I love that. That's just, that's just, that's just what happens when believers come together. Um, Philippians 4.9. I've got some readers here. Uh, whoever has Philippians 4.9, just read that out loud for us right now. Do we have Philippians 4.9? I'll be the reader if not. All right, here it is. It says this, Keep putting into practice all you learned and received from me. 
everything you heard from me and saw me doing, then the peace of God will be with you. Listen, it says, keep putting into practice what you saw me doing. How about this? Hebrews 13.7. Who's got Hebrews 13.7? Do we have our, our reader for that? Okay, remember your leaders, consider the outcome of their way of life. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. He gave you logic and reason. Is what this person says I'm supposed to do, are they doing it? When they say treat people with, with in, in this way, are they treating me that way? Consider the outcome of their life and imitate their faith. One more, uh, Philippians 3.17, who's got it? Okay, so some would say, I thought we're just supposed to keep our eyes on Jesus. No, God gave people in your church, keep your eyes on them as well. Older brothers and sisters who've walked through this and you go, how do I, how do I stay married when I'm 14 years in? I'm only at month eight. How do I do that? Man, you invite someone who's been married for 14 years over to your house and you feed them. And then you just engage with them and start picking their brain and go, man, I, I need to be around you. I need to see this lived out. My parents, my parents split when I was young. I need to see this fleshed out. Would you, would you just be a friend to me? Here's another one. Teach others. You don't only learn from others, you teach others. Now, some people are like green thumbs. They just cause growth in other people. This is Paul, right? Paul was a green thumb. Wherever he went, he was, he was planning a church and it just exploded. Then he'd glue back around and he was a green thumb. He caused growth. Listen to, to Colossians 1.28. Paul, Paul talking, he says, Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. Do you hear his goal? I want maturity. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that is powerfully at work within me. Now here's the rub. I think some of us are like, I'm not a green thumb. I'm not a Paul. I'm not a discipler. I'm not a mentor. What on earth do I have to teach anyone? I'm a mess. Let me read some passages that show the average Christian, not just the full-time vocational pastor, not the missionary who spent his life living with iguanas somewhere, not just the coach, right? Not the green thumbs that we would identify. These are regular, average, everyday Christians. Listen to what it says. 1 Thessalonians 5.11, encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. Regular Christian, that's for you. Ephesians 4.15 says, rather speaking the truth in love. Listen to this. We are to grow up in every way. There it is, that concern for growth. And it goes on to say, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. We looked at this a couple weeks ago, that as you grow, your personal growth actually stirs and causes growth in other people in other parts of the body. Your specific gifting and, 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 and way you were made, sometimes as you start to express that, that actually draws out other people who kind of, who kind of, you know, fit together with that. We had someone this last week at men's group, start off men's group at 701. Here's, here's what he said. He said, I have a problem. (laughs) I said, welcome to group. I mean, just one, you're doing pretty good. And what that led to is this long conversation of just saying, here's, here's my issue. And the guy was very vulnerable. He just laid it out. People think about this. Wives think about this. Men don't even ask for directions. Here's a guy at the start of group 701 
saying, I have a problem. Let me make something really clear about Neighborhood Bible Church. We have one kind of group. We have groups for people with problems. We don't have the regular group and then those for the really screwed up people. We have community groups. And community groups are filled with people with problems who are really serious about growth, who care about discipleship, who need mentors, who need to speak into other people's lives. That's the kind of groups we have at Neighborhood Bible Church. That's all a community group is. I'm committed to the growth, mine and others and the churches. So let's get meeting together. By the way, openness breeds openness. It was another amazing Thursday night. Why? Because one brother chose to say, hey, here's some of my junk. I need help. All right. Let me close with this. Here's some quick ways you can, um, you can specifically teach other people. Because I think we get stuck there too. What do I have to teach other people, right? Here's a few things. Jot down 1 Corinthians 5.11. I already read it. Encourage one another. Encouragement is a way to teach other people. Here's a second one. Colossians 3.16 says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. So we already have the teaching component down. We're, we're told to teach each other. Why? Because we have the word of God dwelling richly in us. Do you think a preacher ever has nothing to preach about? I mean, if you read your Bible, no. The preacher always has the challenge of, God, what do you want me to whittle it down to this week? I will never run out of stuff to talk about. If you read your Bible every day, test me in this. If you read your Bible every single day with an eye to, to, to learn from God for your own self, God will bring people into your life and you will never have shortage of, of how to, to, to teach and instruct them. Admonish carries with it the idea of steering, of spurring, of counseling them, of being directive in their life. Here's a third way. Go second. You know how you can teach other people? Just go second. You want to teach them about what it, lo- what it looks like to live the Christian life and be like Jesus and be a servant? Go second. Now, we're about to have a welcome lunch. If we do this eternally, we'll just never eat lunch. So at some point, someone has to receive and say, thank you, I, I will go, right? But you're like, oh, the pastor's right there. He said go second. Someone's got to go first, right? But, but there's this sense of just being able to express that. Listen to this. You don't need to study the Greek on this. Just listen. 1 Corinthians 10.24. Nobody should seek his own good, but the good of others. Nobody should seek his own good, but the good of others. We don't need a Bible degree for that. That's called going second. Here's the last one. Hebrews 3.13 says, You must warn each other every day while it is still called today so that none of you will will be deceived by sin and hardened against God. If the only warning you ever get is one time a week at church, and let's say you don't have perfect attendance, so you come, I don't know, 45 times this year to church. If that's the only warning you get from someone outside of yourself, I would say that you're in danger. The scriptures tell us warn each other. Warn each other every day. Why do you warn each other every day? Because sin's hardening effect happens every day, right? It doesn't happen once a week. It doesn't happen at Christmas and Easter. And we need this over and over and over for one another. So warning is a really loving thing. I want the band to come on up. I would suspect that I'm in good company with many other people that are like me. I long to be found hard at work and much in love when Jesus comes back. I want to be bearing much fruit, and I want to have it said of me that I remained that I'm remaining in him. 
If that's you, if you are bearing much fruit because you're remaining, and as you remain, it causes much fruit to go out, just continue in that. So many amazing growth things are happening at this church. Continue. Keep going. Keep being faithful. Keep leaning into that. Keep going where where Jesus is, is leading you. But some of you have done this. You knew that you were to remain. You knew that you're created to bear much fruit. And here's what happens. You kind of wake up one day and you realize, I've wandered. I've wandered from the truth. Adam and Eve hid because they did something wrong. They knew it and they felt ashamed. You have an opportunity right here. If God's waking you up today to do something really, really simple. You know how you got over here? You wandered away from the truth. You started making some decisions. You know how you get back? You can wander back to the truth, can't you? I mean, to wander back to the truth is just to realize I'm off base. Man, that sister that bugs me with that warning when she's telling me some stuff, I really didn't like her at first. I was annoyed with her at first, but I think she's actually right. I think she's doing it in love. I, I, can, wander, I can wander back to the truth. I can wander back to remaining. Better yet, if I'm awake and aware that I'm not remaining in Jesus, I'm going to sprint back to his arms. Let me have you close your eyes and bow your heads. God, thank you so much for remaining with us. God, you're the true vine, and your invitation this morning is out to one and all. Come as you are. Get over here and connect to me. And God, as we walk with you, as we embrace and trust your way of living, you cause us to bear much fruit. God, I pray that we would look for and encourage these things in our brothers and sisters here around this church. God, for those who don't even have a whiff of what this is about, would you give us the words to say? Would you give us hearts full of compassion that would reach out In Jesus' name, amen.